What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Do the right thing. Why morality matters. Today we're talking about pride, and I suppose to a degree by default, also humility. We're about to wrap up this series as we are very soon looking to be in December and then ready or not, here comes Christmas. It always seems like it happens and uh, so quickly. It comes so early every year. One of the reasons we started this series was to answer some questions surrounding morality is something that might hopefully be helpful to believers. Why does morality matter or even doesn't matter in some cases? Becomes Sometimes we do pick things up as we go through life that aren't necessary and don't really matter. But we're talking about morals that do matter. And the reason morals matter is because they answer questions and solve problems preemptively. Here's how that cycle goes. People learn a moral practice. Um, they give it precedence in their lives. And it solves a problem or maybe multiple problems in some cases. They pass that moral practice onto their kids. And this goes on over time and passed down from generation to generation. And eventually people forget why they practiced the moral in the first place, in part because the problem it solved is no longer present. And morals often require some discipline and they may not seem like the most fun thing to hang on to. And then people start to ask the question, why are we bothering to keep up this moral practice? Whatever it may be, like lying or sexual morality, any of the things we've talked about, respecting your elders, and it seems like nothing more than an inconvenience really after a while. And no one seems to be able to give a satisfactory answer as to why the moral practice matters. So people say, I'm not going to adhere to that moral practice anymore. It seems outdated. It feels like it's just getting in the way of what I want to do anyway. But when people stop the moral practice, the problems that it solved came back or come back and you know, the tide comes in, the tide goes out. You can see that in the nation of Israel, in the Old Testament, they did something similar. They would uh, follow God's law for a while. They would stay close to him, and then they would begin to crumble on those things and drift away. And then another nation would come in and capture them, carry them off into captivity. They would eventually repent, and God would restore them again. You probably heard uh, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen at some point that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And what that means is that if there's not a commonly held belief that gives people direction, people are going to wander off in different directions. You know, specifically talking about um, the words that came from prophets to guide the nation of Israel in this case, but it's a principle that applies in anything really. It means that there's, when there's not a commonly held belief that gives people direction, they're just going to start wandering in different directions. They're not going to be heading the same way. And when people wander randomly, uh, you could probably guess what happens. They eventually come to a point where they bump into each other and there's conflict when that happens. Now, the second half of Proverbs 2019 says, but happy is he who keeps the teaching. A commonly held set of moral beliefs keeps us all on the same page, heading in the same direction. And without a higher set of shared beliefs, specifically in regards to morality, everyone goes in different directions. And 
we kind of just end up doing whatever we feel like is the right thing to do because there's really nothing else to guide us in that. And regardless of what side of any moral issue uh, we might see in culture today that a person falls on, you'd have to be living under a rock to say that people are not wandering in many different directions and there's not a lot of conflict going on because of that. Any, even many people who might call themselves Christian are, are doing a similar thing. And in my opinion, the reason for all of that is pretty simple. Many people see themselves as the highest authority, their own moral authority. Even many Christians who claim to know the Bible or the mind of God, but they, but they say and do and promote things that are completely unbiblical. And no one can agree on anything because everyone is their own highest authority. And it takes a lot of pride to see yourself that way. And therein lies the seed of many sins, pride. <clears throat> and there are places in the Bible where we could go to talk about pride. There's a lot of places we could talk about that. Pride could be a series completely in and of itself, but we're not doing that now. But it certainly could be. Maybe sometime in the future we'll look at that. But for today, we're going to look to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And in Proverbs, pride is something that is often addressed. I'm going to read four verses from the book of Proverbs, and then we'll look into this some more. But Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not be unpunished. And Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That one's often a familiar one for people. Traditionally speaking, uh, Western culture has maintained, at least to some degree, a common set of higher moral beliefs, a standard above us all that has been used to collectively say, yes, this is moral, no, this is not. And traditionally, Western culture has drawn that set of higher beliefs from the Bible. Now, of course, there always have been, there always will be outliers. There's always been people who were not on board with that. Um, even as as that you know crumbles, there's still going to be people who are on board with it. But for the most part, this has been true traditionally that Western cultures maintained a common set of higher moral beliefs. And that standard has allowed us to prosper, mainly because people were headed in a mostly similar direction. Um, if you've been around for a while, you have very likely seen a lot of prosperity in your lifetime. Um, you know, financially speaking, things have gotten better and better. We had a lady named Marlene in our church who passed a couple of years ago, and she was a founding member of uh, the church that I pastor. And when she first moved to Australia, immigrated to Australia as a young girl, uh, she told me they lived in a tent. And that wasn't that uncommon at the time. There were several people who did that. Um, you think about things like indoor plumbing, running water, flush toilets, all that stuff is relatively recent. Things have gotten better and better. And people have gone from living in a tent with you know, no indoor plumbing to what we have now. That's a lot of prosperity. From what I can see and have seen in the world is people prosper. Even those who don't acknowledge God and his authority 
when we generally live by his principles, the lack of wisdom, the lack of common ground, the conflict, culture wars, all of that stuff, all of the things we see going on in the world, all find their beginning in pride. Uh, they find their foundation in everyone saying, I'm my own highest authority. And there are several words in the Old Testament translated as pride. Um, Ten of them, I believe, in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. Sometimes language is very specific and descriptive. And at other times, we take the meaning of a word from the context or how it's used in the context. And we use the pride, the word pride, in several different ways. And we generally take the meaning from the context in which it's being used. And so we're going to try to define pride a bit as, at least as we intend to use it in, in our talk today. Um, now, a couple of things I'm going to say, I should probably put a trigger warning on this. It'll likely bother someone. And I don't want to upset people. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I actually care what people think. I hear people say all the time, I don't care what people think. And well, I do care what people think. Um, I want people to like me. So can we have pride or take pride in something and not be committing the sin of pride? Yes, we can. Context helps determine that. Um, I enjoy doing woodworking, and I was working on a project recently, and I was looking for something on one of the woodworking pages I follow on social media. And someone had posted a cross, and on this cross they had integrated an American flag, and it was well done. I mean, it was a, it was a nice piece of uh, uh, woodwork that the guy had done. But he posted a picture of this American flag cross and said, "These things are selling like crazy." And I thought, "Yeah, I, I bet they are." And there was a comment that caught my attention, and someone commented, it "said The pastor and me can't help but be a little sick about the flag being superimposed on a cross." Jesus wasn't about nationalism, and I commented on that with the word preach and did the high five hands emoji. And it wasn't long after that, that a moderator turned off the comments. Now I'm a military veteran. I understand respect for your country, love for your country, service, civic duty, supporting your government. The Bible calls us to be, uh, to live out civil obedience. All of those things, they all matter. And before I became a Christian, I was a, a mad patriot, but Pride is attributing honor that is due to God to something else. And superimposing a flag on a cross, I'm just not comfortable with that. You know, maybe my opinion, but I just don't think it's a good idea. Not long after that, I saw an article um, about a group who was staging a protest about something somewhere in Australia. And guess what they had? They had an Australian flag with the Anglo-Saxon version of Jesus imposed on it. His head was hanging low with his crown of thorns. And he looked so sad. And it looked like if the government would only do the right thing, Jesus could lift up his head and smile. And that bothers me. And I also know that this doesn't apply to many of you, but it may be something some of us need to think about. There's no such thing as a Christian nation. People should stop saying that. And there are many people in the world who will be disappointed to learn that there are no national flags in God's kingdom. And every kingdom of this world, every country in this world is temporary. And we need to remember that. So we need to be careful with nationalistic pride. What about taking pride in your work, doing a good job, 
trying to put out the best possible product. We've, we've all had one of those days when it's been a productive day. We've accomplished a lot, did some things well, and we draw, we, we draw a lot of satisfaction from a job well done. And sometimes we call that taking pride in our work. And I don't really see any problem with that kind of pride. I don't know, maybe you do. Um, I don't think there is honor being attributed to something that should be attributed to God in that. I just don't see it. But uh, here's a landmine. What about pride in your race or your sexuality? Um, personally, I don't think that type of pride is possible without having some kind of disdain for those who are not like you. So that's probably all bad pride. Probably better just to leave that alone. Um, there's pride in tradition. Um, you see this one a lot in churches. One of the things that I have invested a lot of time and effort into in my ministry is attempting to help people avoid the trap of too much pride in tradition. I don't know why it's so easy for us to do it, but we can turn almost anything into an idol. We can attribute honor to things that actually belongs to God. And I've been in church services multiple times where some traditions were definitely attributed more honor than God. That happens very easily. However, we look at it, I think we'll find that most sin and transgression is founded in pride, attributing honor that belongs to God to something else. Now, here's a Bible passage I'm going to read to you that I believe is a quintessential example of attributing honor that belongs to God to something else. It's Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Um, this is what this says. It says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Isaiah 14 is a prophecy against the king of Babylon. And some interpret this passage as being only a prophecy against the king of Babylon. Others interpret it as referring to Satan, which I suppose is a pretty widespread way of looking at this passage. Uh, some give Luke 10, 18 as a cross reference where Jesus talks about seeing Satan fall. Some interpret it in a both and kind of way. Um, the physical king, the spiritual force behind the physical king. And to interpret it in a historical sense as this is an event in history that either decisively refers to Satan or the king of Babylon or both is, is pretty difficult. Lucifer can be interpreted as day star, light bearer, morning star. Lucifer is also a Latin name given to the planet Venus, which we can sometimes see in the sky that looks like a very bright star. I think Venus is actually the brightest object in the sky outside of the sun and the moon. And some say this might be referring to the brightness of the king of Babylon's reign. But what I am certain of is the principle we can learn and apply from it. When we bring this passage from Isaiah together with Proverbs 16.5, which says, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord, be assured he will not be unpunished. I think we can look at Isaiah 
14, 12 through 15, and see that process of pride and working itself into what Proverbs 16, 5 says, everyone who's proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not be unpunished. And several times in this passage from Isaiah, we see the words, I will. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And that is attributing honor that belongs to God somewhere else. Attributing honor to self that belongs to God, which is most people's favorite place to do that. That stubborn, arrogant, self-righteous, prideful part of ourselves that wants to be our own little God, set our own standards, and disregard the real authority. Whenever we talk about sin and evil and throughout this series, pride is at the heart of the matter. Last week, we talked about don't lie, and we talked about Adam and Eve wanted the knowledge that God had. Ananias and Sapphira wanted the glory and honor that was due to God for themselves. And in those examples, we see Proverbs 16.5 and little versions of Isaiah 14 play out again. All prideful efforts of self-glorification are ultimately futile. For some, that's a comfort. For others, that is a warning. Isaiah 14.15 says, Yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. After all the efforts of self-glorification, Isaiah says the ultimate result of that is being brought down to the pit of hell. And C.S. Lewis called pride an anti-God state of mind. And pride is an obstacle that gets between us and what is good. It gets between us and our relationship with God. Let's, let's revisit some of our verses from Proverbs and look at some of the results of pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. One of the results of pride is destruction. We've talked about a couple of examples already, but another one would be Mordecai in the book of Esther. He was hung from the gallows that he had built for Haman. Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel was prideful. He, he attributed glory and honor to himself, and then he ended up eating grass out in the field like a beast. And King Sennacherib boasted about himself and defied God and was then murdered by his own sons. Uh, remember Herod in the book of Acts, he was eaten by worms and died because he did not attribute glory and honor to God. He was speaking and people were saying, oh, this is the voice of a God. And he just let them continue to do that and took that, that honor and glory for himself. And the destruction that follows pride is a principle that applies to everyone for all time. And those are just examples of the principle. In the culture in which Solomon wrote Proverbs, uh, wrongdoing and the penalty of wrongdoing are different aspects of the same thing. And that means what you don't have one without the other. And that's part of what Solomon is telling us in this. When he says pride leads to destruction, that means you won't have pride without destruction. You don't maybe get away with it or possibly dodge it. Pride and destruction are two parts of the same thing. And that's just the way creation works. Destruction will follow pride. So if you choose pride, you also choose destruction. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes shame. 
but with the humble is wisdom. Another product of pride, and this seems ironic, but another product of pride is that it leads to humiliation. Remember in Luke 14, where Jesus talks about being a dinner guest, he says, go and sit at the lowest place at the table, the place with the least amount of honor. Because if you sit at the highest place and someone shows up who is supposed to sit there, you'll get moved and that will probably be the lowest spot because every other seat will be full by then. Um, and when you sit in that low spot, um, it could be you know that the, the host comes and asks you to move up to a more important spot. And I remember one time I was in this club and it was the first time I had been to a club meeting and they had tables set up in a square around the room. And someone told me, go grab a seat at the table. And I said, okay. And I can't remember if somebody told me to sit here or I just grabbed a seat. But it turns out I was sitting in the place where the president usually sat. So I got asked to move. And, you know, it wasn't intentional that I sat there, but it was still awkward and kind of humiliating. And I guess it maybe helped me better understand what Jesus is talking about. Um, again, it's ironic, but pride is often a way of coping with insecurity. It's a way of coping with low self-esteem. <clears throat> people often cope with insecurity by tearing other people down and lifting themselves up. And they create an image of who they want to think they are and who they want others to think they are. And excuse me, good grief. It's all a bit deceptive. And we can deceive ourselves with pride. When we don't live up to the idealized version of ourselves, the, the prideful version, and it hits us that we are not who we want to think we are, and that can lead to feeling depressed. It can lead to feeling sorry for ourselves, and maybe even in some cases some anxiety. And then we project that onto other people as though it's their fault that we have failed. And it's their fault that we feel humiliated. And then we tear them down. And we build ourselves up again. And in the process of doing so, we reason ourselves back into our pride. It's a cycle we go through when we are prideful. Pride, humiliation, depression, tear other people down, build ourselves up. Pride, humiliation, depression, tear other people down, build ourselves up. So... If you are dealing with that, you know, feeling of humiliation and depression, maybe look for some pride because it's actually difficult to spot pride in ourselves. Um, Something to consider. It may not be the case, but it's certainly something to think about. And pride leads to destruction. It leads to humiliation. And pride also dismantles relationships, tears them apart. Pride, Pride can dismantle a marriage, a family, a church, a friendship. And it leads to esteeming ourselves as better than others. And pride causes us to see others as a means of benefiting ourselves. And in any kind of relationship, that's going to lead to conflict. That even happens, maybe especially happens, when religious beliefs are involved. And if someone convinces themselves that they have more talent, ability, wealth, social status, good deeds, righteousness, they're more spiritual, I don't know, they have more better than someone else, and they believe that affords them privilege, that is pride that's going to dismantle relationships. And pride blocks us from good things. It gets in the way. It's destructive. It brings humiliation. It dismantles relationships. It gets in the way of a proper understanding of our relationship with God. Pride says, 
I'm a good person. Pride is self-righteous. Pride is self-justification. Pride is attributing honor and glory to ourselves that actually belong to God. And that sin separates us from God. It gets in between us and knowing him. There's the place in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to be part of the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be a lot of people who say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name. We've done all these great things. You see, that's self-righteousness. And Jesus says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. These are prideful religious people who think they're not subject to God's wrath because of their own religious work. In that passage, people are not attributing honor to Jesus and what he's done on the cross. They're saying, look at everything that I have done. And I think what's going on there is that even standing before Jesus in that moment, people are still prideful. Even then, people rebel against Jesus in pride and refuse to repent. Look at all I've done. You owe me. Some people will be cast into the pit of hell, kicking and screaming, shouting, Jesus, you owe me. You can't do this to me. When all they had to do was turn away from their own pride and trust Jesus. And there's no hierarchy in hell. And I know people say, oh, I'm going to go to hell and party with my friends or whatever. And hopefully nobody's saying that. But uh, if you do think that, you are so wrong. The only thing that rules in hell is God's eternal judgment. And even on the day that some people stand before God in his perfect judgment, some hang on to their pride and continue to rebel against God. And it's that same pride here and now that keeps people from believing the gospel, how Christ died for our sin, was resurrected again the third day. Don't let that be you. Repent. Humble yourself before God. Confess your sins to him. Accept Jesus as your Savior and become part of His kingdom. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. Oh, that's good.